thing that we are. We're an animal, but we're also the next stage of animals where we're aware of who we are and we contemplate our existence. And when you contemplate your existence and you're an intelligent life form, you should always be seeking to improve. If you're always seeking to improve, the thing that you look at, like what has brought me the most positive results? Hey, this is Ronnie Gibson again. This is, uh, I believe, episode 12. And today I have with me... Adam McGill. McGill. How's it going, man? Good, brother. How you doing? Welcome back to your old stomping grounds. Oh, yeah. It's good to be home. Yeah. Good to be home. So, uh, where you at now? You're in uh, Dallas now, right? What- yeah. So, I'm in Dallas. I, uh, I actually moved to Plano, which is like Naperville of Dallas, which is kind of funny. Oh, Plano, Texas. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I've been in there for four and a half years, which doesn't make sense in my mind because I feel like I just left like last week. So it's crazy. You said you were before that we started recording. You say you're just walking aimlessly around Chicago, just trying to soak it in. Man, you know it's embarrassing. We went to dinner last night, and I uh, had to stay in a different hotel from everyone else. So I, I had like a third of a mile walk, but I probably walked around for about an hour just looking at architecture. So I just staring at tops of buildings. People probably thought I was weird. <laughs> yeah. But I was taking pictures. And I'm like, man, I'm taking pictures of like somewhere I grew up, and I memorized all these buildings. Mm-hmm. So. It's just that nostalgia, you know, that, you know, you can't, you can't buy that feeling. Yeah. So it's, it's, it was a good personal moment. I know what you mean. Sometimes I'll come into work and I'll just, instead of going straight in the office, I'll walk around the block and just try to soak it in because we live in such a beautiful city and I try to soak in as much as possible with the skyscrapers and, or walk to Millennium Park or just try to absorb as much as possible and just soak in the present moment and enjoy what's in front of me. Yeah, I got to tell you something funny. I uh, I still remember my first day at Schneider. I wore a tie, and uh, a guy at lunch, I can't remember who he was, he told me to shake the tie, pal. You're, who are you trying to impress here? <laughs> <laughs> I, I couldn't stop laughing, but I, I, I laugh about it all the time with people. Um, but I took the blue line to work, so every single time I, uh, I see that entrance for the blue line right outside the office, I remember that first day. Which is crazy. I still felt that yesterday when That's I walked. That's hilarious. Out. Did you wear a yeah. tie ever again? No, never again. <laughs> I probably only wore a tie in this office twice. When I interviewed for team leader, when I interviewed for Sam. Nice. That's it. Never again. I couldn't handle the uh, the, uh, the jokes. Nice. Oh, that's a good story. What uh, what? How long you been at Schneider? We're well, coming up on about twelve years. Okay. This uh, in a few months, which is crazy to think. So two thousand two thousand eight eight. Okay. Yeah. Okay. When, where'd you, what'd you do before Schneider? Did you come straight out of college or? No. So I had a, uh, I had a couple sales jobs before. Um, I ran a, I ran a bar, uh, general manager of two bars, a restaurant and a liquor store. Okay. Yeah. All at once? <clears throat> All at once. I was GM. So I, I bartended there in college and the owner liked me so much. Okay. Cause I was probably a workaholic that he goes, I can get some good labor for cheap. And uh, <laughs> I ran everything, so I actually made a lot of money. And yeah, I loved I it, but the work-life balance was terrible. My girlfriend at the time was like, if you don't get a different job, like I can't date a vampire. Yeah. So you got to figure it out. But then I did some beverage sales before that, door-to-door, and uh, that was interesting. I'll tell I you that. I bet that was tough. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, getting shut down is not a big deal, but, you know, to your face was uh, kind of an interesting one. Because I'm not cold calling. I'm literally walking up and saying, hey, I got to talk to you. And imagine being bothered in your day and all that fun stuff. So that wasn't for me. Wasn't you had me. to, I mean, that was probably in your early twenties. I mean, learning how to handle re- rejection early on is, is a valuable <laughs> thing to learn. 
Yeah, no, I mean, I was like, adult. you know, 23, 24. So I had a lot of confidence, you know, that college swagger, as they call it. Mm. I bartended, so I felt like I could talk to anyone. Uh, I, I got pretty lucky. I have the type A personality, so I can yap to anyone for hours. But uh, definitely rejection is something that I had to get over real quick. Mm-hmm. But yeah, That's something you just learn by going through it. I don't think you can – no one – is just natural at re, you know handling rejection or you know what I mean. It, I felt like it's something you gotta learn by going through it and getting in there, and just facing the adversity. Yeah, I uh, I was a big athlete growing up, so I was a uh, you remember all stars or whatever. I had soccer player and baseball, and then uh, I stopped growing, so mm-hmm. I'm only like five eight, give or take an inch, depending on what shoes I wear. <laughs> but uh, you know, when high school hit, I was I went from being an all star to kind of irrelevant. Yeah. So that's when the rejection really hit mm. me first, and I, I always remember that. So you gotta be the person that tries harder. And when where did you grow up? Down, what, what city in I Chicago? Grew, is it? Yeah, Downers Grove. In Downers Grove. Downers Grove yeah. North. So, okay. Um, did you end up playing high school soccer? And no. Football? No, this is hilarious. I I played soccer and baseball my whole life, and I was pretty good at it, traveling teams and whatnot. And then when I came to college. I played on the golf team, the wrestling team, and the men's volleyball team. Oh, wow. Weird, right? Where'd you go to college? Uh, I went to Northern Illinois. Okay. Out in DeKalb. So, obviously not a collegiate athlete. But, uh, yeah. You, did they have you wrestled? I did. Did you just pick it up in college or what? Or no, did you... in high school I wrestled. Okay. I, I was not good. I just, I wanted a winter sport to be a three-sport athlete. I'm just a competitive person. Mm-hmm. I can't I can't sit around. I get, I get really bored. So uh, wrestling was something where I, I thought it would be something good fit because I was a shorter guy and I was pretty you know muscular or strong for a 14-year-old, whatever <laughs> you want to say. And then I quickly learned that there's kids that have been doing it for like 5, 10 years, and it's all about technique, not strength. Yeah. So I was a, uh, a beating doll for, for a couple of years there. And uh, yeah, yeah, there's a lot of tough kids, I'll tell you that. They're more mentally strong than uh, physical. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, I, I wrestled with my ass. I didn't know you, you yeah. wrestled a little bit. And, and uh, I let the picture sometimes like come out because I'm like, you wrestled? I had the shaved head and the singlet on. And nice. I tried to be all tough, but Same. yeah, man, I, I wasn't good. That was the one sport where I will admit that I was probably bottom tier of anything. So I was pretty good, but I, I wasn't a fan of the sport. You know, I actually played baseball as well. Yeah. And uh, but uh, I enjoyed like baseball and football a lot more. The, the, the mental, the mental game of wrestling and having to not eat and the anxiety of going against fighting someone one on one. You know, like five times in a Saturday. Yeah. It was just yeah. <laughs> the anxiety was always up. Uh, I wish I was a lot more mature, like I am nowadays. I'd like to think of just being able to handle anxiety and my emotions back. You know, back then right. where I was just more. Uh, at ease when yeah. I went into the wrestling matches, and it probably made me a more fan of the sport. But you know, I feel like your heart's got to be in it to be great. Like you can be really good at something, but your heart's got to be in it oh, to I be agree. really like great at anything. I got chills in my arms thinking about this. So I got I, I, me and Adrian talk about this a lot. If you're an athlete, you'll know what I'm talking about here. So I remember being in sports growing up. Um, you know, nine, ten years old, and they were really important games. I mean, that was my life back then, right? It was sports. Yeah. yeah. And you ever you ever been in a close game and a 
didn't really mean anything, not even a trophy, but maybe a team color that you didn't like because they had red and we were blue. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but I remember being in close baseball games. I remember I played shortstop and they'd throw me to outfield. They'd throw me a pitcher once in a while for an inning. But I remember being out there thinking, we're not going to lose this game. We're literally, you know, you know, like that that adrenaline rush for sure. Ten year old kid on the field probably can't control much, saying, "We are not losing this game." It was to the point where, like, I had a better arm than someone in center field. I'd sprint out there, pick it up, and just whip it home. Yeah, because I was like, I, "I'm going to do whatever it takes for us to not lose this." And I, it's funny, Adrian. We would talk about how he would feel that playing football, and it's like this gear, this like sixth, seventh gear that people don't have, and you can get it. Yeah, you just got to find out what gets you there, but. It's like that competitive nature, and I, I I found out now that I'm older how to channel that. Yeah, yeah. So it doesn't work well in sales leadership though because I can't sell for you, everyone. <laughs> for but, sure. Uh, it's I, I know what you mean though, and I was getting chills just thinking about it. Just, and I feel like having that, it's like overconfidence or our ego, especially back then. Yes. We can't really contain it as well, especially when we're in adolescence. <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. and uh, you get that overconfidence in yourself and in your abilities and then sometimes you know it goes a little too far you get a little too cocky or whatever it may be you know yeah. or, or it'd be a detriment to the rest of your team because i definitely was not a good team player in those moments <laughs> yeah. yeah early on like i had some of those yeah instances as well that's funny when you uh so when you what led you to schneider how did you even find out about schneider yeah so uh it, it's crazy i um I left work on a random Tuesday upset because uh, I can't remember what happened at the bar, but some ordering didn't go right, and I was getting blamed for it and whatnot. So I hopped online, uh, and I started looking at jobs. I'm like, okay, I, I got I to gotta do something else. My girlfriend doesn't want me to do this. And, you know, at that time, I thought I was going to marry this girl, and that's, you know, that's the world. Mm-hmm. So, you know, 20, 23 years old and started searching online for uh, sales jobs, and, uh I found a bunch of jobs. Like I was like, wow, like, okay, this is pretty easy. But now what industry? And that kind of stressed me out. So I called my brother. I'm like, okay, my older brother, two years older, got pretty lucky. I went to him for everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, he did sales. Um, and he worked at a uh, recruiter type company. And he told me how much he didn't like it. So he's like, don't go that route. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's like, I'm trying something else. And uh, he was looking at a, uh, an IT company that did mapping and routing. Um, and long story short, he knew who Schneider was. And he's like, hey, they're a really reputable company. And, uh, you know, you should ask some other people about, you know, if you know anyone that works there. But uh, out of all the names you told me, like, that job seemed like a good one. That company would actually be worth having on your resume. So I applied and, you know, I got a nice phone call the next morning and the rest is history. It's funny. I still remember the girl's name was Renee Rybar. Uh, and she's still with Schneider now. Oh, wow. So I chatted her once, like in my tenure, saying, hey, I'm still here. That's really cool. I don't think she remembered me. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it's kind of a weird story. Um, was that in, so that was 08? That was 08. I mean, that was right during the recession was starting to happen, right around there, 08, 09. Yeah. That's something you thought was, about going into sales? Well, so the <laughs> or, problem is in May when I started, it was like, it was peak. It was the end of the peak of just, you know, the, the economy boom. Um, all my friends did mortgage refis and all that. Mm-hmm. And they were uh, telling me what they did and they were flashing the money and it sounded great. But then a lot of them would tell me how much they hated it and they wanted to find something new. So I'm like, okay, well, I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but what really got me thinking was uh, when I when I applied and I interviewed, they were telling me that this was the first class. I was the first class in this office. Oh, so wow. the inaugural class. Okay. Me. 
And uh, there was still the office in Evanston, but they were moving here. So this was like a big deal. Brand new office. Oh, okay. We're in Chicago now. It's great. Yeah, and the way they pitched it to me was, hey, we're, we're growing as a company. We're only a couple years old. Like, you're literally starting yeah, at, a, at a startup. And back then, tech wasn't big yet. Mm-hmm. So I do know that no matter what company you were at back then, is if you were part of a startup, you had a good opportunity to move up pretty quick mm-hmm. or at least get opportunity better than going to, like, a uh, – a more established company and then kind of fighting your way through the, you know, the, the ladders yeah, as yeah. Well and all that, you know, jazz. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. It was, it's, it's kind of crazy, but, um, did you, uh, were you successful at first? Like what, how well did you do at first when you started in sales? So we, uh, it's, I, I get, I get a lot of people that call me about this. <laughs> I will say that for the, you know, the first two years, I was an average to below average performer, depending on what Adam you got. <laughs> okay. So, you know, 25 years old, just moved to the city. You know, I got tens of dollars in my pockets. The city's mine, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I, uh, I tried really hard, and I guess that was a differentiator for me. From Even though I wasn't performing so great, I, I remember trying to be the highest call number person every day. Mm. And I asked a lot of people a lot of questions, so everyone knew that I was very interested in the job and had a pretty good attitude. Um, but I just, it didn't click the first two years. It did not click. I thought it was all about whoever worked harder than the rest was going to get the best return. Cause that typically is what makes sense. Mm. The problem was I wasn't developing my sales ability. Mm. I was just trying to shotgun close everyone. And then my third year, I kind of learned a better sales process from a few mentors that I had at that time, uh, Swayla being one of them. And, mm. uh, he's pulled me out of some interesting places when I thought it wasn't for me, this job. And then he's like, you know, you just got to think more of the, uh, the relationship sell. What are you trying to accomplish? It's not about booking a load. It's about kind of being an extension of your company and being the go-to consultant. Mm-hmm. And once I started thinking about that, I'm like, all right, all right, well, subtle changes to my pitch. And next thing you know, it was knocking them down. Mm-hmm. Like I, all these random customers turned into relationship shippers and uh, I got really, really personal with a lot of my customers, and the job got fun. Nice. Because not only was I making great money, but I had legitimate relationships with these customers where they would call me outside of work about personal stuff, um, or I would call them for you know personal advice. I had a, uh, a customer, um, the company is called uh, Star Foods, and there was this lady there, Sue Cohen. She, at the time, I think she was 62. Remember her name? <laughs> yeah. Well, we spoke every day. Okay. And, uh, you know, every Monday I'd get a phone call around, and they're in Cleveland. So every Monday I get a phone call, like right at 8 o'clock, and 9 o'clock is when, you know, they're. And I think they started around the same time, but I get a phone call, and she's like, hey, Adam, how's your weekend? Did you meet any girls? And I was like, <laughs> well, Sue, let me tell you, I uh, I went down swinging, but, uh, you know, no no win. Goes, well, you'll get there. You're a nice guy. I really want to hear you meet a nice girl and settle down and, uh you know, that went on for years. And then she used to come to the city for conferences and we'd meet up. And, you know, she's a real sweet lady. Mm. And she just gave me a lot of personal advice. So it's kind of funny how these these relationships formed. Um, but so you yeah. call her when you yeah. got engaged and married. You're married and engaged now. I, I am, engaged I am married. married. I am married. Somebody made a mistake. But, you know, <laughs> like, it's okay. It took them a few years to figure that out. You should have called no, her. Kid. No, she knows. We're friends on Facebook. Oh, okay. So she'll text me from time to nice. time. And, uh her son's name is Adam, and we're around the same age, so I think she felt that kind of like connection there. That's pretty cool. I mean, making yeah. those connections on those beyond the business to business relationship, I think, is huge. And uh, I didn't even know that was part of the job, eh. honestly. And I think that I think that was a major switch. Was um, I stopped selling and I started being me. 
Mm. And then people enjoyed me, and I always worked really hard that never fell away. So the combo of working hard and them liking me, it was kind of the uh, one-two punch. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's when sales got really fun. Getting out of that, like, sales talk, like, the, you know, the salesy voice and all that time, yeah. and just being yourself rather than trying to read off a script or whatever. <clears throat> yeah, know. It's it's funny you say that. So I uh, I believe in the beginning you kind of have to script something. Definitely. So it's just for, for personal confidence, just so you're yeah. like, hey, I want to I want to work with you. I don't even know what we do. But I was thinking uh, that as I was saying it. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I would say that I, I give people this analogy like, hey, everybody has friends. People have friends because they like who they like you for who you are. Mm-hmm. So you can kind of do the same thing with cold calling. Is you're trying to find contacts that you'd want to work with on a daily basis. Everybody ships freight that manufactures. Let's just get that mm-hmm. you know off the table. Mm-hmm. You can vet better customers and others fine, but if the point of contact is someone that you want to work with and they enjoy your time and conversing with you, that's a phenomenal customer. I like that. I like that analogy. So right. I was just cold calling to see him like, hey, if this if this gentleman I spoke to didn't seem like a very nice person or. Someone that didn't understand who I was, no problem. Mm-hmm. Pass the lead to Swayla. He'll probably enjoy that, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which we did often. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty easygoing guy, type A personality. So I uh, I enjoyed the interesting people. And I liked, for some reason, high-stress individuals because mm. I'm just able to talk to them. Like, hey, it's all good. I got you. Yeah. We'll, we'll figure this out. I'm in it with you. Yeah. You know, and I just had a lot of really, really interesting customers that we got pretty deep with. And when people would back me up, I'd go on vacation. They'd call my customers like, Everyone is so cool and nice that you work with. How'd you find them? And I'm like, five years of interviewing potential friends is what it turned into. But it so yeah. happens, the friends end up being customers. And, mm. you know, I, I said as a manager of, uh, you know, anybody finding new friends today, which was, did you close a new customer? Because essentially that's what you're trying to, uh, you know, accomplish is that type of relationship. Yeah, a lot so. of customers, I'm just thinking, and I've talked to somebody about this before a lot of customers that people have a lot of them are pretty similar personalities to the seller you know what i mean so it's just like you know that's it is true what you're saying it's so that friends analogy yeah you just treat it the same way it's just about trust i mean i've learned one thing in this industry is things are going to happen not everything's perfect can't guarantee anything they just want to know if you're in it with them when things go bad Mm. and when things are good are you going to help them out if you uh like if you had some of those things you mentioned, like if you had to give yourself advice, like when you first started or a new Schneider associate just started, what what's some advice that you'd give them? Yeah. Like to, you know, like speed up their process, oh, become a successful seller. That's a good question. And I'd say stop trying to be someone else. Hmm. So be you. Uh, and that's there's an and strategy because I was not professional at that time. My, my communication skills, I'd say, were very uh, laxed. And um, I think there's a level of professionalism that you need to, uh, you know, develop over time so that you can be effective, you know, in, in your communication style, whatever that may be. Uh, but I'd say be yourself. And the end strategy is to try to develop yourself as a professional. And you have to seek for yourself. You can't have someone tell you how to talk because that's not you. Mm-hmm. So what is your style? Figure out your style. And then you're going to be very comfortable with that. And then you're going to hit levels that you didn't think you could achieve. Mm. So I'd say, number one, be yourself. Be yourself and try to become a professional. And you, I guarantee you, and you can't do this with trucks, but I can do it with development. I guarantee if you invest in yourself that you will see a return. Yeah, no doubt about it. And, and, and it's not like you can't learn off other people. Still find people that are successful and have went, been there for years and have went through <clears throat> 
failures in your role and learn from them, but, you know, take that advice and use it for your own, you know, uh, sales pitch or Definitely. personality or whatever it is. Yeah. So I, I, I did this back approach. then and I recommend this now is the, the, the sponge analogy. So I literally would sit in with every seller and I would listen to how they sold and I would take little bits and pieces of it and then construct my own. Mm-hmm. And if I didn't like the way it sounded or rolled off my tongue, then I, then I changed the verbiage and it, so it, so it suited how I spoke. Mm-hmm. And I, I found that people would kind of copy this and then I say, Hey, you know, don't, don't say exactly what I'm saying because that doesn't fit your personality. So what sounds similar in the same way and try it and then try again and then eventually you'll kind of figure out what works best for you. And then you'll learn how to be dynamic in a conversation and change your tone or whatever takes place. But again, you, you got you to gotta figure out what works for you. Mm-hmm. So and I think reading helps a lot of that. Yeah. You know, it could be the newspaper. It could be an article on your phone. You know, I... Uh, I actually learned a lot from reading the red eye every morning. Okay. And it's funny. I only grabbed the red eye because I thought people that took the red eye from the newspaper and read it on the train, I thought they were cool. Because like, oh man, they're you know, they're they're smarter than the other people. And you know, I was a single guy in Chicago and me reading the red eye, I try to see if anyone's looking, but you start to read how writers write and you start to mm-hmm. learn some of their personalities and you kind of pick up on some of those subtle things over time. So I uh, I really enjoyed that and I do miss that on the commute. Speaking of reading, do you have like a favorite book that you uh, would you always recommend or you learned a ton from and you suggest? Or Yeah, I, uh, you know, other people will probably mention this, but, um, you know, Dave Dietrich, when I met him, it was like a light on my, in my life kind of turned on. I never met anyone like him. I've met similar people, but I've never met anyone that was so openly wanting to help other people. I don't know if you ever met Deke. I, I met his him. Friends call him. I haven't Dave, had like but- a an extensive <clears throat> conversation that I've met him. Yeah. You know, he's got some, uh, he's, he's been a pretty influential person in my life when I look at how he is in his personal life and his family and things that he does for other people. And his, it's his way he approaches his work and things like that. He, uh, he recommended a book called uncommon by mm-hmm. Tony Dungy and mm-hmm. that I used to recommend that to everyone. And when I bought it, I was actually uh, about to go on a trip to go visit a customer. Uh, so this is when I first became a manager um, and I read the entire book on a four-hour plane ride from here to Seattle. Mm. I could not put it down. It was one of those where people were getting up, and I was still trying to finish the book. So, and then that was rare that I liked books that much. It just resonated with me. I just—it was almost like, yes, I under, yeah, this is me. I, I need this. Like yeah. this, it was like, oh my gosh, I'm like this. This hits me in all my points, and then and then it became an addiction. So I, I'd recommend that book to everyone because, you know, Tony Dungy's a great guy and he talks about personal life and work life and how you have to have a balance and success is not common. It's uncommon. So how do you do the uncommon things to become successful? Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it just made sense. So I started to like research people that I wanted to like learn about. Uh, it's funny. The second book that I read was a 75 page book by uh, Mark Cuban. Mm-hmm. And it was just about how what he did and how he became, you know, the billionaire he was. And, you know, so be it, 10 years later, I moved to Dallas. And that's where Cuban was from. Yeah. So it's yeah. kind of, it's, it's weird. So it's, it's like weird. this, like this, like story that was already laid out for me that I'm kind of like falling in line. Uh, but now um, I try to read a lot of books that help me with the stages of my life that I want to get to next. So I, I'm really bad because I have like five books that I'm trying to read at the same time, which I do not recommend. Yeah. Uh, but someone I hear, you know, you and I have a great convo. You re- you recommend a book. Then all of a sudden I buy it. Yeah. Amazon is like, bam. Yeah to my house the next day and I crack it open and I read it. You know, this happened to me uh, a couple weeks back. I just met Jack Flynn. 
Mm-hmm. He came down uh, to Dallas. Yeah. And uh, he's a great guy, and I admire, um, you know, his uh, passion to be great. And he's a young kid, and uh, and I love seeing people like that. And he recommended the book Can't Hurt Me or Can't Hurt Myself um, by David Goggins. David Goggins, yeah. And I bought it, and I just started reading it on the plane right here. And I was telling Lauren Jefferson, sitting two seats to the left of me, you got to read this book. Read the introduction. I'm like, if that doesn't motivate you, I don't know what will. Yeah. And uh, when you were talking about the book Uncommon, I <clears> thought about the David Goggins Can't Hurt Me book because it's essentially that. He even takes it a step farther. You got to be uncommon amongst the uncommon. You got to even take it even, he takes it even further. But he says the one in a hundred. I've loved his analogy about, um, you know, when, when you go to war and there's a hundred people on the battlefield. 80, 80, 80% of the people don't even want to be there. Mm-hmm. And then you have about 10% of the people that are just doing what they're told. And then you have, uh, you know, eight or nine people that um, are actual fighters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and then you have one warrior. And he was the one warrior. So it's like, how are you uncommon of the uncommon? And, you know, I, I think about that a lot. And, mm-hmm. you know, as a leader, I, I understand that people are kind of looking at you all the time, trying to want, or want to mimic what you're doing. So I always try to evolve, and I always try, like, once once people start to do the same things or act the same way I do, it's how can I elevate this group even further, elevate even further. Mm-hmm. And it's funny, when I read that and you said that, I'm like, yeah, I just, that, that hit me. That's good. Well. Yeah, I, when I read that book, I recommend it to Jack, and it's just, I try to recommend it to anyone who's looking for some motivation. You cannot read that book or listen <clears throat> to that guy speak and not get some motivation. And I always think of, like, I always think of a Goggins mindset. If I'm doing something at work and, you know, and struggling to fight through it or exercising or whatever it may be, I always think of him and I'm just thinking like, because his, one of his quotes I enjoy is he's like, if you, if you're at a point where you think you gave it your all, you probably only given 40%, (laughs) you know, it's like we can, a lot of it's exercise, but you can, draw it to anything in life because it's all about just mastering your mind yeah. in anything and he masters his mind best through exercise and then he uses that in his other in his other avenues in his life his career whatever it may be definitely you know i think schneider you know it's especially stm a lot of the leaders we talk about removing limiting beliefs mm-hmm. and uh, i think that whole book just it completely yeah backs that entire comment and I've been in heated debates with other managers or leaders across STM about things we can or can't do. And then all of a sudden I go, guys, stop. Do we have a limiting belief that we can't do this? It's By the way, it's okay to fail, but are we at least not going to try? Mm-hmm. I'm like, forget it. Let's try it. Yeah. What's the worst that could happen? We revert back to we know what works. Exactly. And then what do you know? We all learn from it. Maybe it doesn't go that way, but uh, limiting beliefs. That's I should probably write a book yeah. one day. Is how to, how to conquer your limiting beliefs from a uh, 5-H Chicagoan. there's a quote it's it's something about basically what you just said where it's like you um yeah it's something about taking action and uh you're gonna even if you do fail you're gonna learn a lot more than if you never you know took the initiative to begin with like if you stay quiet and complacent and don't do it then you're definitely not gonna learn anything or, or grow or do anything by staying complacent and just staying you know how you are but if you actually apply yourself and go for it you know remove that limiting belief and the worst thing that happens you're going to learn from it grow from it 
and then better yourself going forward. And the next time an opportunity comes through, you'll be much better off and maybe be able to accomplish it the next time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, it's funny you say that. Uh, there's a younger gentleman that I'm mentoring in Dallas right now. Um, we talk about removing fear. And I, I try to tell him that if something makes you uncomfortable, you know, I, I mean, it's inappropriate, you know, to what you're going to do. But if it makes you feel uncomfortable, then you need to like to do it. Mm-hmm. And you need to do it over and over again because you're going to grow from it. So, um, you know, those instances where I get nervous, and I still get nervous, you know, from time to time, even being a type A personality, I love those because it makes me feel alive. Mm. You know, you get, the, you get the hot face, the heart the heart palpitations. I'm like, is this a heart attack or what's going on here? But <laughs> it's, it's funny. Your brain is interesting. I always tell people it's like a computer. You can reprogram it. Mm. So if you always look for those instances, I guarantee you, you can look back and you will be amazed, like I said in the beginning, on how you can develop yourself as a person mm-hmm. so you just have to embrace it you can't you can't fear it you have to embrace it and i always tell myself the one thing is you're not going to die you're not going to die because ultimately that's the one thing that would end the whole game yeah so it's like hey what's the worst case someone makes fun of you yeah big deal i didn't play in, in the nba like you want to see me shoot a basketball you'll probably laugh yeah don't care you know but i love that I, that's the same talk i have with myself especially early on when i tell people like uh, public speaking you know, that's yeah. a big fear of everyone's. But early on, it was just, I tried to gain the perspective. Think of yourself when you're in uh, a meeting or a presentation or whatever. Majority of time, if someone screws <clears> up, <throat> you don't really you don't really think of anything of it. You know what I mean? It rolls off your mind yep. five minutes later, even less than that. And then half the time, you're struggling to even pay attention. You know what I mean? And, and it's like, no matter... It don't matter who's up there presenting. It's just our own inner chatter. So it's like, if you think of that when you're presenting, it's like, and then if these other people, they're not taking it to heart. They're not going to think of you any differently. It's just like removing that, um, those beliefs of, or that perspective that you have, of what other people may view you. If you do screw up, that's, you know, that's the biggest part of it. 100%. I, uh, I recently sent out, there's another book that I'm reading right now called Dare to Lead. Mm-hmm. Um, Who is that? Oh, my God. I, I think forgot, I've heard of I, that. I forgot her name. Yeah. This is real bad. I, it, it's it's uh, is it Renee Brown? Yes, it is. Yeah. Yes, it is. Yeah. And uh, in, the, in the third chapter, she talks about uh, vulnerability and uh, yeah. she talks about perfectionism. And she said that perfectionism ultimately leads to failure, anxiety, stress, and uh, you know depression about your performance. Um, so you can't be a perfectionist in anything. And uh, people that are perfectionists are often very high stress and have a lot of anxiety because they expect this perfect outcome every single time. And you, and you can't be that way about anything in life. It's just, you know, you're, you're not going to be perfect everywhere. Mm-hmm. So you're already, you're already setting yourself up for a mental failure. So when you think about it logically, it's like, what? Like, I don't, I don't want to say going with low standards, but it's, it's okay to be wrong. And there's, there's one thing that I've learned a lot from, uh, from your VP, Mark. You know, I love and admire Mark because he is always willing to give his opinion. And whenever Mark is wrong, and sometimes he's kind of in so far left field that he even realizes it in the middle of the conversation, yeah. he starts laughing. Yeah. He starts laughing. We all get a good laugh out of it. But it, but it's relevant because it's, you know, hey, like we didn't think about that, you know, part of this topic. Um but the guy, you know, he doesn't care. Mm-hmm. It falls away. And yeah. then, boom, on to the next thing. And I think that's a lot of his success is he has, he has the no fear. 
Mm-hmm. And it's, it's okay to be wrong. And it, it, it's okay to uh, to forget something. And if someone's going to laugh, it's like, great. Yeah. Uh, and even people give him a hard time. It just rolls off his back. And he continually does it. He continually has that creative mindset and initiative exactly. and, and want to keep pushing regardless if he gets laughed at or, you know, judged for it or whatever it may be. Yeah. But, uh, no, that, that is something I recognize. Yeah. She has a uh, Renee Brown or Brene Brown. I think it is Brene Brown. I think it is. I think it, but she has like a good, <clears throat> for people listening, check out her Ted talk about vulnerability. And she has a pop or a, a Netflix like hour. It's almost like a stand up, but it's, all, but it's all about vulnerability and mm-hmm. um, just being open to, um, you know, share your failures and stuff with other people and connecting that way. And um, she, it's pretty cool to check out. Yeah, you know, it's it's I uh, I I sort of still from time to time get nervous with public speaking because maybe I'm not confident with the topic or maybe someone has built me up on this pedestal where I'm yeah. like, what guys, I'm just. I'm just trying to, you know, make this happen here. Don't, don't, don't. I'm not the subject matter expert, yeah. uh, but uh, it, it's funny. She mentioned in her book about uh, one time when she got very, very nervous uh, before a TED talk, and she's like, "Oh my gosh, I don't know how this is gonna go." She talks and, about uh, this in the TED talk. Yeah, and then, and then some. I haven't seen it, so I gotta watch it. But someone is essentially um, giving her a little bit of a, a pep talk beforehand, like, "Hey, you know, why are you so nervous?" And she's and she admitted she's like well it's all these C level executives out there and you know it's oh gosh like this is a, this is gonna be tough for me and then the I think it was a gentleman he goes you know that's your uncle out there that's your aunt like if you met him at a bar randomly would you be as nervous as you are now yeah no which 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 makes me think like again your brain it can be programmed it's all in your head mm-hmm. it's all in your head and uh, she goes out there and gave herself that positive self talk and she she crushed it yeah. And so, you know, I've had those instances to where I have met people at random bars or restaurants that I've bumped into, and they end up being like CEOs of companies or pretty high up. And uh, and uh, we, we, we get along really well. They enjoy the conversation. You know, we connect on maybe LinkedIn and we follow up. And I feel like if I would call them out of the blue as a cold call, I'd be shivering at my knees. And be like, <laughs> I don't know what to talk to this person For about. Sure. You know, and it's it's funny how your brain acts that way. So you got to conquer it. You have to be cognizant when that's happening, yeah. and then just say cares. Yeah, there's cares. a. I just I send out. I have a daily quote group. I send out to a few people in the office, and uh, the quote I sent out this morning was uh, it was Tim Ferriss. It says the things that you fear the most are are the things that are probably most important. You know what I mean? It's like. Yes those are the things you truly want to do or accomplish. It's usually goals that you've set or, or things you want to better yourself and improve yourself individually or whether, uh, you know, that's reading or cold calls or whatever it may be, you know, or we just, uh, those are usually the most important, the things you fear the most are, you know what I mean? Definitely. Definitely. And I think it is all about like mastering that inner chatter, your mind, you know, when did you notice that or when did, when did the light click on for you when you realize like, that's what, that's what it takes to become great is to, to master that inner chatter and like, can't hurt me, David Goggins. I think part of his title is mastering your mind. Yeah. Like when did you like see the light or when did it click on? And it's like, cause I think that's how you become the best or get on the path of becoming the best self you can be yeah. is master or realizing it first, you know, it's like, I can control that voice in my head. That's creating excuses. And, um, 
I'll throw in another book, War of Art book uh, by Stephen Pressfield. He calls it Resistance, that voice yeah. in your head. But yeah. so, when did you notice that? It seems like you <clears throat> you definitely noticed it a while back. But was I, there anything I, that clicked or was it a book? or? Well, so a couple things here. I've, I've battled this pretty much my whole life. Uh, it's, it's really funny. You know, growing up, I can remember kind of battling some of these things, like meeting new people as a child. I was like, you know, um, a young kid and I, a type A personality, like scared to go up and introduce myself, like mm. a neighbor or kid. Like I actually remember these things like, uh, kind of clearly. Uh, and then it, it kind of bled away as, you know, my adolescence, high school, college, nothing like that. I just didn't really, didn't really have any fear or anything like that. But, um, there was one impactful moment. Uh, it was when I was first a manager, the first couple of years in. And uh, I think I put myself on a pedestal because I was leading other people. People were looking up to me mm. and uh, they, they wanted to understand what I was doing. And, you know, they, again, they want to emulate the work or act the way that I'm doing it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I used to get kind of pretty nervous sometimes before I would uh, present something or yeah. walk a customer through a proposal. I've done it a thousand times. And, I'm, and I, I just, I just I'm never. I'm going to interrupt. I need this room for the only thing I can do. Yeah. So, um, I was a I was a newer leader, and uh, Aaron Van Zeeland would come down to our office, and she would give these office wide pep talks. Now, if you asked me when I was a manager to do one of these, I probably would have like stood still and been like, uh, "I can't talk. I don't know if I can. <laughs> I don't know if I can do this." Yeah. Um, but she was like, it was unbelievable how good she was, and I was like, "That's it. I want to be like her. I got to figure out what she does." Like. You know, is it, is it she's confident or does she practice a lot? Like, I believe there's a way to learn how to do these things. And um, when I asked her about um, preparing for these meetings, she goes, well, actually, Adam, it's funny you mentioned that because uh, I present these things in front of the board and I use you guys as practice. And before I go with you, I'm in Bill Matheson's office and we're running through it. Mm. And I'm like, wow. And, uh, she, you know, she mentioned that, you know, she never said the word nervous. So I don't think she ever gave herself negative self-talk, but it was, she, she was prepared and she, she knew that it was something that she wanted to get right. So repetition and like understanding it and talking about it, uh, and practicing it with people and Bill, Bill was her leader at the time. So practicing it with the one person that was going to give you all the feedback. Yeah. So think about that for a minute. If you're, if you're worried about how your message is going to be received, why not get advice or coaching from the person that's going to give you the feedback anyway. Yeah. And uh, so she would practice with him. And what I started to do was uh, for customer visits, presentations, or whatnot, I would do these role plays with my associate, whether I was going to do it or they were going to do it. Uh, and I would just do it over and over again. And then I'm like, hey, guys, this is the safe zone, so let's have fun. And it's funny because you kind of get that nervous knack out of yourself. Mm -hmm. And then when you do it in front of the customer, it's like, here's the notes. I don't even need it. And yeah. you just run and you, you, you crush it. Uh, and or, or at least you feel good about how you did it. So that was that moment when she said that someone that I admired, someone that I believe is one of the best uh, professionals out there, and she does the same things I do. Mm. Or, or you know what I mean? So mm. I'm like, that's it. That's it. She's human. I guess go back to that uh, C-level executive example where you get nervous because all of a sudden you've created this you know, pedestal about who these people are and um, they're just like you. Yeah. Just like you. Like seeing so, that Aaron Van Zeeland still gets nervous for... I don't know. See, I don't think she gets nervous, but I, 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 I definitely think that she is uh, always thinking about 
you know, the opportunity to be extremely effective and make sure that it's, you know, very, very uh, strong for the person receiving the message. Yeah. I bet um, you she still does. I, I think she admitted it even before, but if not, Aaron, we'll talk about it, you know, and, uh, <laughs> when I get you on the podcast here soon. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, that's I'm good. Sure. I'm sure. So, uh, fun question here. What, uh, yes. do you have, uh, what was like a first concert you've ever been to, Miguel? Oh man. I, so it's Dave Matthews band, uh, back in 1998. Nice. And the only reason why I went is because the cool kids were going and I, uh, somehow managed to, uh, sneak a ticket with my brother's friends okay. and I was able to go. So I loved it. I loved it. Knew, I didn't really know any of the songs. I yeah. just wanted to be there with them. And a party with a bunch of, yeah. yeah. People older than you and just hanging out. Yeah, I was a freshman in high school, man. These were all juniors and seniors. Oh, like, nice. Man, this was it. I, I made it. Yeah. I made it. So I'll never forget. Did you sneak that. any beers or? No, oh. no. I was, yeah, definitely not back then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that, that wasn't my style. Yeah. You know. That's a good first concert, though. Oh, it was great. Oh, it was yeah. uh, the um, Stay was the uh, the new album that just came mm -hmm. out. It was actually at the World in Tinley Park. Okay. I don't think it's called that anymore. Yeah, it's uh, some. I, it's they changed it a couple yeah. times, but I've been there a couple times. I remember I had to beg my mom for a little bit of extra money so I could sit in the pavilion with everybody else so I could be cool. Yeah, I think the tickets were like forty bucks. It wasn't <laughs> crazy, but uh, I'll, I'll never forget it. Just like that feeling, and just I've never been around that many people all singing the same songs, and I'm like, this is awesome. Do you still you go know? to concerts, or do you like like nowadays? Yeah, so that's funny. Uh, I've been to like twelve or fifteen Dave concerts since then. Okay. But Recently, uh, you know, my significant other, she loves to go to concerts, but she likes to go where it's like crazy packed and there's tons of people around you and that stuff just kind of, I get claustrophobic now for some reason. Yeah. And I'm, you know, it's like, oh boy, if something happens, I got it, that's it, it's over. But uh, um, I don't try to go as, as many as possible. I, I, I go to the ones where if I really enjoy the band or the singer, I'll go because I like to sing along. Mm. I'm definitely an out singer, so I will sing it. I'm concerts. with you. I'm with you. I do Let it out, man. Let's yeah. go. Yeah. I'm going to Elton John in Dallas, his last tour oh, wow. next year, so I'm pretty excited about that's that. That's pretty cool. I'm yeah. sure you, was it the uh, new movie good? What, what's that called? Yeah, the it was great. Called? I haven't seen Rocket it Man? Yeah, Rocket Man. Yeah, so I mean, I know that song pretty well, but yeah. the rest, I I'm going to have to practice. Yeah. So I'm, I'm that nerd that's driving and singing, and people are looking over, and I'm belting it out the windows now. I jammed so. to some tunes, you know, my... Wife makes fun of me sometimes, you know, but I jam. The shower singing is my best. <laughs> I can hit the right tones in there for some reason. I don't know why. <laughs> I was jamming. What was I? Bon Jovi I was jamming to in the car the other day. I'll be there for you. These five words. Yeah. I love Good it. Good stuff. Love it. <laughs> if, you had a, uh, if you had a gigantic billboard and you could put anything on it and it reach millions, billions of people, what would you put on it? So I, uh, I used to use the term no excuses. Uh, I, I've used that for a long time. Mm -hmm. Just no excuses. Because um, I, I grew up in a household where you had to work pretty young. But I just would always get told, like, hey, you can't have an excuse for anything. You got to figure it out. But then Nike uh, came out with the slogan of, you said tomorrow yesterday. You ever seen that one? I, it's been a while, but now that you mentioned, I remember. Yeah, yeah, because you know, I've I I uh, heard a podcast recently about um, people that choose the easier route in life. 
there's always two ways to do things. It's, hey, I can uh, make my bed in the morning or I can uh, take the easier route and do it when I get home, mm-hmm. which you never end up doing because you just go to bed the way it was. Exactly. Um, and I truly believe that people mentally tell themselves, oh, it's okay, and they take the easier route, so I'll do it tomorrow. And when Nike says that, you said tomorrow yesterday, and that's it. Like, you know, like you're only – you you did it to yourself. Mm-hmm. Like there's no excuses. So yeah. it kind of all goes in together. But, you know, I, 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 lo- I love that. You said tomorrow yesterday because I've caught myself doing that a lot. And it's mm-hmm. like, you know, how do, I, how do I just mentally get past that laziness and do it? But yeah. uh, I will say this. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty rare. I, I have a lot of energy, as you can probably tell by how fast I talk at times. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I can't sit around. I get bored. I, I, I'm very competitive with myself about how much I can accomplish in a day. You know, I mentioned earlier about the nostalgia and walking around Chicago. I was like, well, it's 1030 at night. There's not a lot of traffic. Uh, This is the perfect time for me to like soak it all in. Like I got I got to get I got to get the most out of this trip that I can. Yeah, because I know that the world's best pizza will not be available to me at a, a, you know, a a footstep away in about, you know, four or five days when I go back home. So, you know, it's the best pizza place for you here in Chicago. I got in this discussion last night. So. (laughs) You can't just put pizza all into one, into one, you know, one, I guess, food category. Mm-hmm. You know, if, you know, Pequots to me means something because you can't get it anywhere and it's pretty unique and the flavor hits where I need it. No doubt. And, uh, you know, fortunately we're eating that tonight, so I'm pretty, pretty excited. Oh. I've been stretching wow. my stomach all, all morning. <laughs> fasting all that? Yeah. No, 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 no. That's, the, that's what you're not supposed to do. You got to stretch it. Oh, liquid, So you get, get more capacity down there, which is embarrassing to admit. Um, but then, you know, Illuminati's, they, people love their deep dish, but actually their thin crust is where it's at. Mm, but that's, that, that, that's a whole, exactly, you got to try it. Okay. That's a whole, I'll sponsor a pizza if you want to try one. Yeah. Uh, that's a whole different kind of pizza experience. Because after you eat Pequod, you either got to go for a walk or you just got to go to sleep. Because mm. um, you, you can't stop. With the thin crust, Malnati's, it hits you where you need the flavor strong, and then you can go back amongst your day. So I'm definitely a refrigerator pizza guy, pizza guy, where I'll order an extra large and just casually eat it throughout four or five days. So, <laughs> I like it. Yeah, yeah. Pequod's definitely up there, and then Giordano's was really good for me. But when they started spreading everyone else, it kind of ruined the, you know, the essence of it. Yeah. So if they if they would have stayed like Pequod in Chicago, it just kind of ruined the, I don't know, the value of the pizza even though it probably didn't even change much. No, no, I I, I agree to that. Yeah. So, I don't know, maybe it's all mental that it's better when there's less. Yeah, yeah. But, but yeah, no excuses. No no one wants to hear excuses. I mean, nobody wants to hear anyone have excuses. And uh, what was it, plan, plan tomorrow, yesterday? Yep. I, I, think, I think of that, it's just, I think what they're also saying is just like, all you have is right here in front of you right now. It's like right here, I have in front of me make my bed, you know, or, you know, I'm standing here in front of my desk. I got uh, 10 prospects to call. <clears throat> Let's not worry about tomorrow or yesterday. Let's all I have is in front of me. So I'm going to, you know, work my tail off on the, the goals and objectives I have in front of me. Cause that's all I have. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, and if you can focus on that and give it your all, on the things that are right here in front of you to today, then you do that every day. You know, you're going to see some results. I, I agree. We're, you know, we're going to try something new on this podcast. I'm going to ask you a question. Let's okay. do it. Are you a morning person? For sure. You are. Yes. Why are you a morning person? I just, 
it's more of just like I need to I need to I just feel like if I start at 8 p.m. like everyone else has beat me starting the day ahead of me and then I'm just not I'm like starting the race late you know what I mean I that's what it. I feel like I'm yep. starting the, the race late it, if I'm here at, at 7 a.m. you know I can get I just I have a head start on everyone else, or the majority of society and people. Yeah, that's why I love running in the morning, nice. because it gives me a little motivation. Sometimes I'm out there running in the cold or, or just <clears throat> running super early in the morning. It gives me a little extra motivation that you know me and sometimes I want to high five people as I'm running by them because I know yeah. how tough it is. Oh yeah, to get out there and do it, or even just getting up early. I know a lot of people aren't morning people and uh some of it is genetic we won't go down that way but it's just uh so i'm gonna i'm gonna stop you there we can because yeah because we're, we're gonna go there because I, I don't believe it's genetic i think it's definitely your mental uh capacity that you have i think a lot of it is mental capacity but think of it this way let me let me tell you some so think of our hunter gatherer ancestors this was an article or a maybe read in a book or something, but think of our hunter gatherer ancestors back in the day. We had our little tribes of say like 30 people. Some, some, you're, someone always had to be on the outlook awake to, you know, observe the surroundings. A lot of time people were awake during the day, obviously, but there was a select few people that had to stay up through the night to protect your tribe and your food and sure. you, your kids and your wives and all that stuff. So we were doing that for hundreds of thousands of years and involved with that. So I, I truly think there is a, a select, I don't want to, me saying that probably gives people excuses though. Not you know, and that's not what I want to create as someone that's, oh yeah, I am a, I'm I, not a morning person because it's probably in my genes. Like I hate that type of uh, mindset, but I truly think someone, it may be a little bit tougher <laughs> But I'm with you though. A lot. I'd say ninety percent of it, maybe even more. You can at least increase it, you know, or you can at least adjust it a little bit to wake up a little bit yeah. earlier. I think. But, I think that's where David Goggins would say our ancestors were only using forty percent of their capability. So. Maybe. Yeah, <laughs> Just maybe. To go full circle with that uh, book there. No, like um, you know, for me, I didn't become a morning person until after college, and uh, I used to love sleep. And then I don't know what happened to me, but in my mid twenties, I started to get this like regret mm -hmm. that lost time, like mm -hmm. youth, youth is precious yeah. being young, definitely your metabolism. I'll tell you that, man, I got a few years on you. You better treasure, you know, you know, take care of that. Well, but, uh, you know, how are you again? 36. Okay. I don't know why I struggled to say that. I was yeah. <laughs> I'm saying I'm 33. So okay. I just turned 33 last month. So. Same age. I figure from high school at the same time with the same age. Yeah. Um, but you know, what I'm getting to is, um, I don't want to have regret in life. And I think time is something that people often have regret about. Mm -hmm. Meaning I could have used that time better. I could have done that. Yeah. Or I apologize. People say I should have done this. So yeah. to me, that's time. That's time. So how do you create more time? Well, you need sleep. So I'm not saying don't sleep, but you know, what do you really accomplish at 10 o'clock at night till midnight? Are you watching TV? Are you reading a book? You know, like if, if there's two different things you can be, you know, you know, you're helping yourself or hurting yourself. I'm not saying TV hurts yourself, but I would definitely rather 
not watch TV, go to sleep and get up two hours earlier and be the first person up to stretch my day as long as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the mornings because I feel like I am maximizing my entire day. And, uh, you know, making the bed, like, you know, I've seen people talk about, you know, accomplish something simple in your day. So, you know, that you have that victory and you yeah. can keep building off of there. You know, I, I guess I kind of live off that, but I also care about time. I care about how much time I have uh, at my current age. And I don't want to look back in my, uh, you know, 60s, hopefully 70s, 80s and be like, you know, I wish I had more time. I want to have that fulfillment uh, in, in my life. Mm. So I my favorite part of day is the morning. My favorite part of the day is getting up and everyone else is sleeping. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I'm, I'm competitive, so yeah. I feel like I already beat everyone. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, you can stay up till 2 a.m., fine, but uh, I'll see you at 5.30, pal. Yeah. And uh, I, love I, it. Just, I just feel like there's a lot of successful people, and, uh, and, not, and not, not just financially, but, like, personally, personally successful. Like, they, they love who they are, um, and they're morning people. Yeah. So you, you by ever, far, by you know, you ever you ever walk around the city around six, seven a.m. like six in the morning on a Saturday? There's all walks of life walking around, and no one is. It's not the same person, you know. It's it's not a really wealthy businessman that doesn't want to let time fall away. Mm-hmm. It could be a uh, you know a blue a blue collar tradesman that is just you know loves the morning because uh, you know he's successful. He's very content what he's doing in life. He, he loves, he accomplished what he wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And I think about that stuff all the time because I think, again, people choose, instead of getting up, it's easier to keep sleeping. And that's where it's an excuse, mm-hmm. is the easier route is an excuse. It's easier to do this. And you, you got to defeat it because if you can't defeat yourself and defeat that little, little, little minor bird in your head that says it's easier to sleep, I like sleep, uh, then you're going to struggle. That's the start of mastering your mind right there. Something simple when it comes to waking up earlier. If if you can master your mind, because it, it all come it still comes up for me. I've been waking up, you know, early for I don't know how long now, but still when that alarm goes off, there's days where I wanna lay there a little bit longer. But it's like mastering my mind to realize this little voice in my head isn't really me and I can control it. And I'm just like, no, I'm, I'm waking up anyway, you know, Dude, exactly. little voice in my head. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to hit the snooze button. I'm not going to skip my workout. I'm not going to, you know, so I think that's an easy way to start learning how to master your mind is simple. Waking up earlier, wake up 30 minutes earlier because you're going to get in. We have the most energy in the morning. Yep. Like you're refreshed. Like you said, at night. You're watching TV, you're drained, you can't accomplish a lot. So it's like, go to bed at 9, and if, if you want to, instead of reading from 9 to 10, read in the morning or do whatever, just get to work early, and start with a full day of energy right at the beginning of the day. And like you said, it gives me motivation when you're here. You know, it's, it's just natural to have that motivation that you're waking up early and a lot of people aren't and yeah. you're getting ahead of the day. I ask this question to a lot of people of uh, when you first wake up in the morning, everybody grabs their phone. You know, everybody does because it's right next to you. Mm-hmm. Um, I ask them what app they look at first. What app do you look at first? I honestly, I've been reading a lot of people I respect and stuff, and I don't even, the only, 
I tried to not even look at it all the way till work. The only the only thing I look at now <clears throat> is my text message just to make sure nothing crazy is going on in my life. Okay. And then I'll scan my text messages and then I'll do whatever I need to do, get on the bus and then, you know, eventually look in an app. But for a while it was probably Twitter or, or something, you know, or checking the weather. You know, why I'd even check the weather. I guess the weather, if it's raining, grab an umbrella or something. But yeah, I've I trained myself not even look at it in the morning because it really doesn't help me much. Yeah, so I, uh, I I believe social media has definitely played a major role in people's self-development. Yeah. They, uh, they like to look at other people when they first wake up and compare themselves. Yeah. And you've already lost because you're not competing with yourself anymore. You're competing with someone else. And sometimes those people, you know, that's potentially unattainable. If you're looking at Twitter, looking at professional sports players and mm-hmm. getting jealous of their life, you know, you can have a great life, figure out what's best for you. Um, but I encourage people to unplug. Mm-hmm. Like I still have Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and all that. And I don't go on it much. I'm more of a, uh, observer and happy birthday you know i miss you all that type of good stuff yeah the only post i ever do is of my wife and my house the yeah. two things i'm proud about in life um pictures but, just so your family can see what yeah you're doing, and you know, know and, and that's updated. and i think that was the whole point of it was so that you can reach people at a uh, click of a you know a button instead of having to you know you couldn't call or visit you could see how things were going like exactly. I, i've enjoyed watching my nephews and niece grow up because i can go on facebook and see these different pictures oh, yeah. and the, the things but all these people put these rants on there whether political financial spiritual yeah well i don't i don't care what it is it's garbage it's garbage yeah and, it, and it's just people become like obsessed with this and i'm like that's that's time so you know what i look at when i first wake up is uh the stock ticker and I started, I started reading about the Dow that day and looking at it and um, you know I, I I care about you know financial long-term stability for my family I want my wife to have a great life and our kids to have things that I did not you know I think everyone believes in that as well but mm-hmm. that's time like I I really feel like some people waste time in areas that are self you know like there's self-defecation hurting themselves mm-hmm. like if you if you you go on your phone now you can see how much time you spent on each app every day yeah so when that's i tell people one. hey how do i get better in life okay open up your phone it's already the work's already been done for you so that's you spend good. about an hour a day on instagram that's an hour a day that you can spend investing in yourself now i spend it on the market which is give or take bad but mm-hmm. that could be an hour of working out that can be an hour of reading it's already in front of you, you don't need to look anywhere yeah get it Done. No, I love that. That's when I started getting on the path of bettering myself to try and improve myself individually and career and everything. It's like those are the things I started looking at. It's like, you know, I used to play video games and, and uh, you know, I still watch Netflix and stuff, but I, you got to look. It's like, where do I want to spend my time? I want to try to improve myself. So read an hour or watch a Netflix show that's not even that good anyway, or, or scroll down Twitter. And, you know, like, like you're saying, if you're starting off your day scrolling down Twitter and getting in fights, like um, that's not a great, you know, that's not a great day to start off your day, like getting stressed out getting anxiety and just that negative, you know, or getting on Facebook and looking at someone's, profile maybe it's an ex maybe it's someone you dislike but you envy them and then you're starting out your day with these negative mind you know these yeah. negative feelings like that's not a way to start your day that's all no. 
No, definitely not. So it's subtle changes like that. So I'm gonna go back to my you know analogy of time. So I get up early because I want to I want to take advantage of the time that I have now, and mm-hmm. which is what you said. Time is now. Mm-hmm. So stop living someone else's life, live your own, take control of it, and then I think you'll impress yourself um, with what you're capable of doing. Yeah. So. Comparison is the thief of joy, is what I think Theodore Roosevelt uh, or someone may have been him, but that's a quote I love. It's, yeah, no, I, I love that one. I can't remember who said that, but, um, you know, it's uh, it's that time of the year where it's, you know, it's the holidays, so you go see your family. And um, I remember when my first uh, Christmas break came along and I went to go see my parents back in the suburbs, my, my mother and father sat me down and they were going around the table asking how everybody was because, you know, we're all graduated working. And my brother was so proud to talk about his accomplishments that when it came to me, they're like, you know, how's it going? And I'm like, you know, I'm really fighting through this. I think I think I can make this job work for me, um, but you know, it's going to be a learning curve. And then they moved on. You know, they can tell it was kind of painful for me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I tell a lot of people that because I made it a point that next Christmas, mm-hmm. and when they went around, you know, grandpa or grandma was there. It's like, how's work going? It is. I am the most excited person at that table because I'm proud of all the accomplishments that I made in that previous mm-hmm. year. That's awesome. So, you know, there's a lot of people that are going to be going home, and I'm like, hey, can you can you look your grandparents in the eye and tell them, hey, um, you know, they're going to sit you and say, how's work going? You're going to say, oh, it's okay, it's not for me. And I get that. Not all jobs that right away are for you. But can you look them in the eye and say, you know, I don't know if it's for me long term, but I'm getting a lot out of it and I'm doing really well from, you know, my standpoint. So I'm excited about where I'm going. Mm-hmm. Think about that. Yeah. Think about the pride that they're going to have in you. And, you know, that's if that doesn't motivate you, I don't know what will because mm-hmm. they, they love you unconditionally and uh, they've sacrificed a lot for you. So I would say that going into this time of the year, it's, it's a good time to think about this stuff. And then, you know. It's, it's other people that are investing in you, so how can you make them proud of the work you do? Yeah. Because it's not just you. You love this quote. It's one of my favorite quotes that I've mentioned on the podcast again. It's uh, by Epictetus, a Roman uh, emperor. But he's like, how long are you going to wait before you demand the best for yourself? And how long are you going to wait? And it's like, you, everything that you're saying that rings true. It's like, you know, if you're listening and you're, you know, you're a young 20-something, or even if you're our age in your thirties and you know, you just lost sight of things and you know, you're looking at your life and it's not what you expect. It's like start slow, you know, start reading or, or even start off even early, <laughs> shorter than that. Like wake up earlier, make your bed, you know, start off, you know, if, if your life has that much chaos in it, start off real slow and start changing your daily habits and yeah. you'll eventually start, then start reading a little bit and then learning off other people and, you know, try to get some mentors in your life and then just try to implement these little things. And before you know it, a year, next year, you'll be able to have a good conversation with your family about your career is being a little bit better. And then three years from now, you're like, you're having all these, having all these great conversations with people and realize, you know, it's all coming to fruition here. And then eventually it's going to pay off. But, yeah, we'll end it off with this, McGill. What's something that maybe the regular person wouldn't know about you? What's some like weird habit or something you do at home or something maybe your only wife knows about or what's, what's something we can learn about you? <clears throat> I, uh, I wouldn't say I'm a germaphobe, 
but I am OCD cleaner. Okay. I uh, I can't walk past the room and fix chair and and not fix the chairs. Yeah. And I uh, make you nervous. Yeah, fix that one. Up top. <laughs> we used to have cords in these rooms, and people used to make fun of Bailey for like rolling them up. That was secretly me. Uh, I can't walk past a piece of trash and not put in the garbage. But at home, like I just I am so clean, and fortunately, my wife is as clean as I am. That it's I enjoy cleaning. I don't, yeah. I don't think people like it. I call dibs on the bathroom. I'm not really sure people like to do that. I enjoy it. That's hilarious. No, it's not funny. It's weird. <laughs> but uh, I just I I don't know what it is. I just I find a lot of uh, a lot of happiness with just keeping a clean domicile or just uh, you know my car. If you ever if you ever get a chance to go in my car, it's almost as clean as cleaner than the day that I bought it. Mm. And people are like, "Did you just get this?" I'm like, "No, no, that's about six years old." And they're like. <laughs> You got a problem. It, 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 I don't know. So cleaning is my one thing, um, you know, cleaning my golf clubs. Like when I get done, mm. even though they're already clean, I'll kind of see if I can get those little, you know, things out of there. So I guess that's like weird perfectionism with cleaning. That's but. good. My, uh, my twin brother married a, an Italian girl and her name's Tina, but in an Italian family and she like cleans a ton. And like I, in his best man speech, I, I gave her crap because she went and into my bedroom to clean it twice without even like asking permission. And that's not, that's what immediately made me think of is you, you know, I could see you like going in someone's room and cleaning it up. Just so my, my mother and father came to stay with us in Dallas for uh, Thanksgiving this year. And every time before we left for the day, I would run upstairs really quick and I would straighten the rug in the bathroom, close, <laughs> close the shower curtain. I swear to God, make sure the, uh, you know, the faucets were turned off all the way and maybe wipe something pretty quick, but it's, I don't know. That's good. I got to shake it. Cause I heard when you have kids, you can't, you can't be that person. Otherwise you can drive yourself nuts. But yeah. I, I guess that's my next hurdle in life. So. Kids going. What's when's the, I mean, hopefully soon, hopefully yeah. soon. I, uh, you know, I'd like to start that sooner than later. Yeah. So, but I, I mean, I can only control so much of it. Have you started trying yet? Or is the, you don't want to put this out in the open? That's for a different podcast. Okay, for so sure. You, you asked me in 90 days, we'll do a, re, a recap. Sounds good. But, we'll end it there, Miguel. Great talk. Appreciate it, man. Awesome. Thanks, man. Appreciate it.